This is Ashley Stone, and you're listening to The Comeback Podcast. Okay, so Jackson, I'm really excited to have you on the podcast. I was super happy that you reached out and and shared your story with me. And yeah, I I'm excited. So I'd love to hear a little bit about you and um, just you know, a little bit about yourself and give us some background and some context for who you are before you jump into your story. So are you, do you work or you go to school or do you have a family? Yeah. So I just graduated from BYU. Um, I have a master's degree in accounting um, and I'll be working for a big accounting firm down in Texas. So we'll, we'll be moving out there in the summer. So pretty excited about that. Um, I have an amazing wife, my wife, Bianca. We've been married for three years next month. So that's, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I'm, I'm a military brat. I, I grew up all over the place. Um, my dad was an army doctor, so kind of bounced around a lot. And I actually spent most of my time growing up either in Hawaii or in Germany. Um, wow. So, yeah, pretty, pretty privileged, pretty blessed to have that. And so yeah. a, lot of, a lot of cool memories um, in those places. Um, yeah, currently living in Utah. I've been in here for about four years. I've had a really good time here, um, but a little cold. And cold. I just... I can't wait to to go down south where I don't have to worry about snow. So we're we're uh, moving right now. I live in Bountiful right now, and we're moving nice. to Saint George and oh, my hometown. And I'm just like so happy. Can't wait. Yeah. No more yeah. snow. <laughs> I love it down there, Saint George. If I were to live in Utah, I would probably like Cedar City, Cedar City, or Saint George. It's just totally. Yes. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. So um, I guess the main reason that I'm on here um, is. Huge fan of the show. I, I love hearing stories back. Um, so I'll, I'll probably give a little bit of background, but the main reason I'm here is because I was a missionary who was a very troubled youth, did a lot of bad things, went on my mission, not worthy to be there. And then after a period of time, came home, really struggled with the church, really struggled with my testimony, and then went back out on my mission, eventually had a really cool experience with God, went back on my mission. Um, and then here I am, loving the church, love being a member. And it's funny because um, looking at you, I would never, I would never suspect that you were a troubled teenager. The Savior's Atonement can make somebody totally look like yeah. they never did anything bad. <laughs> yeah. I, I like to think that I'm just sort of like the most generic Latter-day Saint. Just like they got 10 people, you want to take them home, it would probably be me. So. And it, it feels good, doesn't it? It feels good. Yeah, no, it, it is good. Um, yeah, so my I was raised in the church. Um, my dad's dad was a convert. My dad's mom was was raised in a left active family, so he was he's more or less the first generation. And my mom's a convert, um, so I didn't have a whole lot of cultural Mormonism, Latter Day stuff, uh, Latter Day Saint stuff growing up. Um, I always had really great experiences in church when I was really young. Um, like I said, I live in Hawaii, so we had really awesome wards there. Lots of Polynesian, um, lots of Polynesian members who were just fantastic. And I, and then when we were living in Germany, um, we're in the military church, which is pretty different from, from the normal congregation. I mean, the oldest person, um, usually would be like maybe mid forties. Um, and then there'd just be a ton of kids and a ton of youth. Lots of great experiences growing up and beginning of middle school and moved to Germany. And that's, that's really where I had a lot of my most formidable experiences and, um, really where I came to be as a person. Living there, we attended a really big ward. Um, my dad was stationed. There's a, there's a cluster of military bases in like central western Germany where there's just tons of Americans. There's like a hundred thousand Americans that live there, 
Um, so we went we went to a huge war. I mean, it was probably eventually got split. There were probably like 250, 300 people, 300 people there. Lots of youth. And it was a really good environment. And going into high school, my dad was made a high counselor, and we were asked to attend a really small military branch that was probably about 20 minutes um, further away than the, the war that we were attending. And so that was really, really important for me. I didn't have really any friends who were in the church in high school. I didn't really have any kind of social pressure to be a member. Two, two things. One of them was good. One of them was bad. You know, I had... I really enjoyed being active in my church community, but then outside of church, I was not a very good person. All my friends were non-members, um, so I got into a lot of really bad stuff. Like all teenagers, I really wanted to be liked, I really wanted to be accepted, and so I was I was always trying to be like, I'm the cool one. You know, you can you can drink around me, you can swear around me, we can talk about things we shouldn't talk about, and like, I'll be fine. For a while, you think that I can handle this, you know, it's it's okay. But it really starts to wear you down um, and starts to really tear you down spiritually. And so, you know, I found myself more and more just doing a lot of things that I shouldn't have. And while I was really active in church, I definitely was not active in the gospel mm-hmm. and living life the way I should have. Um, and so I, 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 did, I did home study seminary because I didn't want to go in the morning. Mm-hmm. It was really just like one hour a week. So I, I really didn't have... Um, a lot of church influence outside of actual church. Um, my parents were great. They always tried to do stuff, but I really wasn't super in a lot of that. During that time, I had a good friend of mine who had moved, who started really getting into anti-Mormon literature. Um, and I had I had had some encounters with it when I was like just starting high school. I remember there was a time in class this kid was trashing on the church, and I stood up and tried to defend it. And he he mentioned something about like. I don't even know how the Book of Mormon came to be, and he mentioned the seer stone. And I, I was kind of thrown off. I didn't know anything about that. And so I went home, and I said, I'm never going to let that happen again. So I just spent I spent a lot of time like, kind of start slowly diving into a lot of the arguments that critics had. Um, I remember one of the very first like really thorough things that I had came across was like an analysis of the different writing styles in the Book of Mormon. I just remember there was like this weird chart. And it had all these clusters of words and stuff, and it was showing like, okay, this was Martin Harris, this was Joseph Smith. And at the time, I remember thinking, like, oh, people have really thought about this stuff. There are people who, like, really, really like to kind of tear into the church. And so fast-forwarding about probably like two years later, I had a friend of mine who said, like, hey, I've discovered some stuff about the church. It's not what it claims to be. And he started sending me stuff like horses in the Book of Mormon and, like, Supposed anachronisms, classic, classic stuff. And so I thought, really, like this is this is the stuff that's getting you because he's a smart kid. And so I decided we we spent months going back and forth. And this is when I really started to come across a lot of like really anti stuff. I think I came across the CES letter and like it was either late 2014 or 2015. I'm I'm very grateful that I came across it at that time because I was very curious. And I I went through and I read it and I thought this is crap. Like this there's a lot of this it didn't seem very well written. Um, I, I think in your interview with Bridger, he mentioned like diving into the actual quotes of like the book of Napoleon and stuff. And I, I remember doing the exact same thing. I thought like, oh man, this is not an intellectually honest document. This is not what it claims to be. So I, I had all this knowledge. I had all this like anti-Mormon knowledge, but I just was kind of like 
it, it doesn't matter. This is this isn't really important. Um, and so that stuff didn't really bother me. But at the same time, I had all these things that I was doing in my own personal life that just were not in congruence with the gospel. And that was really starting to tear me up. And so eventually the time comes around where I'm supposed to go serve a mission. And I, I wanted to go because my dad served in New York. He had really crazy stories, um, lots of really fun stories. And I remember talking to all the elders who would have them over all the time. And they had really fun stories. And so while I wasn't really, I wasn't really living the gospel, and I definitely wasn't converted, I just wanted to go and go to a cool place and have fun stories wherever I would go. Um, so got all the papers in, lied to my branch president, lied to my state president, like everything's good. You know, I don't need to worry about this stuff. Um, doesn't really matter because I didn't understand the concept of repentance. And so I got my mission call to Detroit. And Detroit is, I was very excited because I had grown up basically in Hawaii and then this little teeny tiny town in rural Germany. There are like six houses in my little village that I lived in. So really small. And here I am getting a call to Detroit. I hadn't been to America in like over six years. I was stoked. I was really excited. Didn't really care about preaching the gospel. I just wanted to go to Detroit and have crazy happen. That's all that I wanted. During that time, between when I got my mission call, kept doing lots of really bad things. Um, when I went to the temple, I was not worthy to be there. And eventually I go out on my mission and not not super great experience at first. Um, the Lord was definitely trying to break me down because, um, and it wasn't just me. So I'll talk a little bit about my whole mission as a whole, like all, all the different missionaries. When you have all that spiritual baggage, it really weighs you down and it makes it so difficult to find joy in the little things. Because rather than going through, okay, they slammed the door in our face, but it's okay. We love them. They'll be fine in the end. It's like, oh, dang, that sucks. And that person really sucks. I don't like them. And, and so it was really hard to feel the spirit. I really struggled. And I had an awful trainer. I was with him for three transfers, so four and a half months. Um, and the Lord was doing everything he could to just try to break me down and humble me and send me out. And so at this time, I came in about a transfer behind my, my mission president, President Cleveland, one of the most Christ-like, amazing men that I've ever met. And President Cleveland, his very first big conference while the mission he was extremely inspired to preach repentance to the missionaries. And his whole focus while he was there was to clean the spiritual world of all the missionaries. And it was, it was the greatest thing ever because... There were so many missionaries out there who, who were similar to me, who should not have been. Uh, an analogy that I've used in the past is if the church is supposed to be like a hospital for sinners, we were definitely the ICU of, of that hospital. There are so many of us who just like substance abuse, all sorts of a lot of chastity stuff, coming from rough families. Um, and so President Cleveland was divinely inspired to teach us about repentance. And so going into this, I did not want to repent. Because I just wanted to finish my mission. I just wanted to get it over with. Um, we'll deal with repentance. If I, if I even want to do that in the future, we'll, we won't worry about that now. I just wanted to get it over with so I could go back home, get back to my girlfriend, resume life as normal. And so you know, whenever bad things would happen, I would just kind of rationalize like, oh, this is God trying to you know, make me suffer, which is, which is ridiculous. That's, 
I can't believe I thought that, but like, this is a way that I can atone for my own sins. This went on for about nine months. And during this time, I really felt like I was just spiritually lost. I was not accessing the atonement. I was not coming close to the Savior. I really was not saying sincere prayers. I just was, I was so distanced from God because of what I had done. Um, and because of my refusal to humble myself and to repent. Eventually, I mean, I, I was really struggling with my faith. I had all this previous knowledge, all these things um, that were just kind of floating around in your head. The more that you start to think, well, I, I'm not happy with this church. Maybe maybe it's true, right? Maybe all that stuff that I've read is, is accurate. Maybe I'm just wasting my time. Why am I out here? I was happy before I came on my mission. Now I'm not. And instead of realizing that I'm the problem, I kept saying, no, this is, this is my mission president's problem, fall, this church's fault, whatever. And so I really was, I was losing my faith. Um, and all because I just was too proud to humble myself. And so eventually, things started to get a little bit rough with my girlfriend and some other friends that I had that I, I hadn't been talking to. And that was, that was more or less the final straw for me. I said, I'm done. All right, and I, I went to confess everything to my mission president because I knew that I was essentially a surefire way to go home. And I'm very not proud that's what caused me to decide to go home. Um, you know, it, it's something that I definitely still have to live with. God can make crappy things turn out very great. Yes, he can. Absolutely. I waited a couple weeks after that, and it was like a week or two, um, got the call that I was going home, and I was pretty happy. I was very relieved. I could be done with this church. Don't have to worry about it. My girlfriend was Catholic. We were we, we had been talking about getting married. So to get a Catholic wedding, you can't be a Latter Day Saint because they don't think you're as Christian. So maybe I just convert to Catholicism because Catholicism is cool. They have lots of big buildings. I went home. My family did not take it very well. My mom didn't talk to me for like a month, which you know I understand it was very difficult for. Her. My dad actually took it very well, and what frustrated me at the time. Because I wanted to be disfellowshipped so that there really wasn't an opportunity for me to go back to my mission. I could just kind of use that as the white flag and give up. But my dad kept saying, I know you'll do the right thing. And that was it. He just, he just kind of would leave it at that. And that just frustrated me. Because in my mind, I was doing the right thing. Because this was supposed to make me happy. Because the church wasn't making me happy. Being a missionary wasn't making me happy. But this will make me happy. Being back home, being able to listen to music, um, going and visiting my girlfriend, that was that was going to make me happy. At this time, I was still, I, w I started to go into the YSA just to kind of pacify my parents. Um, started getting into anti-stuff again with a little bit more fervor behind it because this, this stuff is true, which means I don't really have to go back on my mission because the church isn't true. It's just a waste of time for me to do that. And so it's really easy to weaponize and rationalize that kind of information. And so eventually I decided I'm gonna go I'm gonna go out east, I'm gonna go visit my friends, I'm gonna go visit my girlfriend. This will this will finally make me happy. Because I really wasn't happy with being home. These were really tense. Flew out there, visited my girlfriend, visited my friend, and I wasn't happy. Spoiler alert. It it really did not bring me any of the joy that I thought it would. For the first time in years I considered the possibility that maybe I was doing something wrong. Maybe all of these sins and all of these worldly things 
actually wouldn't bring me the joy that I thought they would. And I mean, looking back on it, there's a great verse in the Book of Mormon. It's either Nehor or Korhor. I think it's Korhor, where he gets trampled on by the people. And it says, in the end, you know that the devil will not support his servants. And I, I really feel like that happened to me because I just, I came to the conclusion that, okay, I, I probably am wrong. And for the first time in probably years, maybe my life, I decided to humble myself and like say a sincere prayer. I just wanted to know, God, are you there? What can I do? Like, what do I need to do? And immediately, I, I just, I love, uh, I feel so good every time I say this, but immediately after saying that, I just, I heard a voice. You need to go back on your mission. And all of the feelings of anger and frustration and confusion that I had felt for the past, I mean, multiple years, just, just gone. And I will never, ever, ever forget how at peace I felt and how close to God I felt at that moment. And really, like, that experience has been the bedrock of almost everything else that I've done in the church because I just, I know that that was real. Um, and I know that that was God reaching out to me because he loves me and he cares about me. Um, and if he loves me and cares about me, then he loves me and cares about it. I, later that night, changed my flight. Um, I think it was, I, I couldn't get a flight the next day. I had to wait like two days or something, but flew back home, never talked to my girlfriend again, never talked to any of my other friends again, all these bad influences. Um, I went and I met with my state president. I met with my branch president, so I want to get back out. Let's do this as quickly as possible. Uh, and so, of course, I couldn't, I couldn't just jump right back into it because I had done a lot of things and it took some time. I think they start counting the time till you're, till you're good. Um, from the moment you stop. So it had been close to a year at that time and it needed to be a little bit over a year. So I think it was about another five months. During that time, I really started diving into the scriptures, really started diving into all sorts of really cool stuff about the church. Uh, I would go out with missionaries in my parents' ward, Washington. They live in Washington right now. And so we'd be out there in the pouring rain, um, tracting and getting yelled at by all the all the friendly people up there. And so it was it was really great. And so at that time, I just like was really committing myself to the gospel. Um, I went back on my mission and it was just, it was night and day experiences that I had between these two. Wow. Um, when I was first out there, really frustrated, really confused, didn't really feel like working, had a hard time just like being motivated. Um, I get back out there. I'm in the middle of Detroit, just like the best, nicest people you could possibly meet. Um, everyone loves missionaries there. So we're going around, we're talking to people, we're teaching lessons like crazy, um, getting lots of people to church. And the rest of my mission was just one of the most phenomenal experiences that I've ever had. And I can completely attribute that to having a clean conscience and learning about repentance. Because really, as missionaries, they teach you that you're there to teach repentance to baptize converts. And if you are not repenting, you can't possibly teach people how to repent. And that's just going to hinder you. I'm grateful for that experience um, because I will never question whether or not being in the church is the right thing. Mm -hmm. I, 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 I know the opposite. I know what else is out there. And I just, I, I'm glad I got my faith crisis out of the way early on, but I don't have it in 20 to 30 years or whatever. So. Um. I think the thing that I can relate to is the feeling of living in dishonesty. Like oh, yeah. 
just that, that feeling of knowing that you are pretending to be somebody that you're not. And I, you know, in my year, when I was going through all my stuff back in the day, that was one thing that I remember feeling. It was the living incongruent that, you know, you should be living. It, it gives you this, like this constant feeling of like unease. Oh yeah. Or disease, unease, disease. Yeah. Yeah. I would say both really. Yeah. (laughs) And I think it was especially awful as missionaries teaching people and some of the lessons on things like the law of Japanese wisdom and you're out there saying like, hey, this will this will help you come closer to God and this will bless your life knowing that you have right. that. So it's yeah, it is it is really awful. It just sucks. It, it really, it really sucks. So yeah. I'm fully with you right there. Yeah, it seems like um now you've had a lot of blessings come into your life since you decided yeah. to just like, you know, listen to the spirit and jump in with both feet. It seems like you have a really awesome life. Yeah, it's been it's been phenomenal, and I am really grateful for that time that I I went back. So I, I started my mission in August 2016. I came back March 2019, um, and I went to BYU spring semester that like next month after I came back. Um, and I met a really good friend in my ward there. And in the fall semester, she was roommates with this really cute girl. Um, eventually, set us up on a date, and that cute girl is my wife now. So that has been, that was really phenomenal, just the timing of all that. I don't know if I ever would have met my wife if I hadn't. Um, and I think the, the whole experience has really helped me because I've, I've had the opportunity to serve in a couple of different um, leadership capacities in, in my wards here at BYU. Um, most recently, I was in the bishopric of our marriage student board. And we had, we have a couple of people who were really struggling with their faith, but a really good friend of mine, she was struggling with a lot of that. And I felt like I could really empathize with her. And recently, we were able to all go to the temple together. It was her first time in several years. And so I feel like going going through all this, um, as I'm sure you know, you can you can really speak to people and you can say, "Listen, like I have I've been where you've been. I'm not just some Peter Priesthood who has checked every box and never questioned once. Like I I have been through the ringer. I have struggled mm-hmm. with all this. And I think that there really is power." And saying that this is what I have chose for myself. This isn't just something right. It's not a path that I've more or less followed. I have completely stepped off. I was going in the opposite direction, mm-hmm. and then I have chosen to come back. I'm I'm just very grateful for that because, like I said, I'll never doubt, and I feel like this will give me lots of opportunities to help people. Um, and I'm hoping that this will be one of them because I think there is there's still definitely a stigma around coming home early from from missions totally yeah and it and it really is unfortunate and i think i think the one that we hear a lot about are people who come home from them um mm-hmm. and that's 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 a really difficult thing we have a couple of people in my ward who did that um and they still struggle with it but we don't really hear about the repentance side of it one because i don't think a lot of them stay very active which is unfortunate um but at least in my mission, it was a huge thing. I think we had, there was one point about one out of every 12 elders was an elder who had gone home and came back. Came back wow. Mission. So we had a lot of, we had a lot of people who were repenting and mm-hmm. were getting clean the way that they needed to. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think that there's a lot of struggle in it and there's a lot of forces at play too. I was very fortunate in that my family had moved right before I got on my mission. 
So when I came back home, in a sense, I didn't know anybody there. There wasn't any bad influences to go back to. I was more or less isolated from all that. I'm sure it was really difficult if you come back and there's your girlfriend and yes. your drug dealer and there are your party right. friends and all that stuff. Yep. Totally. Um, yeah, it, it's really tough. So I, yep. I think the best advice that I can give to anyone who is in the situation, and I hope that there's someone that's listening, I think the most important thing when you go through something like this is to really figure out what you what you need to do to come closer to the savior. Mm-hmm. I, I would say, just as general advice, I'd say nine times out of ten, that is going back on your mission um, because it will, it will bless you and it will just, it'll be such a great experience for you. But I think, like President Nelson has said, um, personal revelation is a huge part of that and trying to determine whether or not, you know, is there is there something else that I can do? Um, is it marrying that girlfriend and going to the temple the next year or is it staying in your YSA and being a really awesome member missionary? There's a lot of different forces at play. And so it's, it's, it's a tough thing. It's a really, really tough thing. Yeah. And my husband, he came home early from his mission for, you know, different reasons. And if you want to hear more about his story, he's on episode two of the podcast. <laughs> okay. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but anyway, he didn't go back out on his mission mm. and he regrets it every day. Like he, yeah. he went down a really rough path. And I think that one thing that I noticed is that I've actually received several emails from people that say things like, they say like, well, it, it feels like, you know, people who leave and then come back. It's like, it almost people like concerned that I'm almost like promoting leaving and then coming back <laughs> and which is absolutely 100% not the case at all. Yeah. And I think yeah. that the thing that I've kind of come to the conclusion of is that when you are outside of the safety of the gospel and you are dealing with challenges that are somewhat self-inflicted because you're mm-hmm. going down that path, and you have all of these different things, it's like you're dealing with life's challenges in in like a just such a raw, painful way. It's like when when I was going through my whole drug addiction and everything like that, like there was so many things happening in my life that were so heartbreaking and so painful and my family and what they were going through. And it was just there was just so much pain and anguish. And since coming back to the church and doing things like, and doing everything I can to stay close to the Lord, I feel like I'm able to deal with trials in my life in such a different way. Like Mm -hmm. definitely there's things that happen that are really, you know, painful. Like we, my husband and I lost a baby. I was 21 weeks pregnant and we lost a baby and I had to go through the whole delivery process. Um, and deliver the baby and it was really traumatic and this was in this was actually in 2019 it was so traumatic but one of the things that i felt was that like my dad actually says this in his episode of in the first episode of the podcast but it being insulated against these tragedies it's like you have insulation around you because you can see it through a faith-filled lens like and it's almost like these trials that we go through they're they're so refining in our lives and they're different than the trials we go through when we're going down this other path. And like, 
I see in my own life and I see it in your life. Like once you decided to go that path, it's like things start falling into place and working out and you start mm -hmm. like this other direction of like happiness and peace. And like, you can have peace despite hard things that happen. But when you're on your mission the first time and you're like living this incongruent lifestyle, it's like that peace is not there. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I, I think living in the gospel gives everything like you were saying, like it, it puts everything in context. Um, because we have, which I think the most, most impressive theological innovation that we have in the gospel is the plan of salvation. This life is not our beginning. No, we chose to come here, recognizing that it would be difficult. And all those difficult things, as much as they suck, they are there to make us better. And they're there ultimately to draw us closer to the Savior. I mean, if life was really easy and everything was just a piece of cake, I think it would be really easy for a lot of people. And I mean, we're seeing this in the world today for people just, I don't need church. I don't need God. Right. I don't need right. to stay here because my life is great. I make six figures. You are so right. Yeah. And so I, it just feels like when things are too easy, it's too easy to rely on the arm of flesh. And I think going through these refining fires like we've been, and like so many other people that we've interviewed have been through, I think that really sears into your memory the importance of relying on the Savior and never letting go of the iron rod because it's just, it makes life so much better. And I can recognize that as much as these things suck, yeah, Christ will make everything better. And in the long run, in the big, big picture, it doesn't really matter because yeah. God has created this perfect plan that will make all things right through Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And so, and I, I'm so sorry to hear about that, that baby. And that's, that's awful. Yeah. You have that hope. Yes. Right. And yeah. honestly, like, I don't ever really even talk about it, like, ever, because it's just, yeah. like, like it was, like, a sacred experience for me, and I don't really ever share about it. But I, I guess, like, my point in sharing it was just that we go through all kinds of things in life, but, like, mm -hmm. you're close to the gospel. It's, like, it gives new meaning to these things. And this tragic experience was actually just, like, a really sacred experience for our family. And I think that's something that, you know, you can see these things with a new pair of eyes when you're yeah. when you're close to the gospel. Absolutely. And I think it's just, in my, in my opinion, and what I've experienced, it, it is a much better life living the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. um, you have that context. Um, you have that hope that things will turn out better. And then even in just temporal aspects, I mean, we are so blessed to have some of the strongest communities and closest knit communities in the world here in every single Latter-day Saint congregation. Um, and all of my really close friends right now are members of my ward because we have been through together. Like one of my best friends, we serve in the bishopric together. It's so great knowing that I have a community of people who have similar beliefs um, and are we are all committed to the same thing, which is you know, bringing for Zion and trying to help everyone come close to us here. There's all the spiritual side, which I would love to talk about more, but we are just, just from a temporal standpoint, Right. Right. I, I don't want to like my my wife's family has recently left the church. We really don't talk to them that much anymore, unfortunately. But they just keep saying how lonely they are because they've lost that big that big community that's there and they don't really have people who are interested in doing something meaningful with them. So right. yeah. so many blessings we have. Yeah, I agree. Tell me what advice you'd have for somebody that is encountering like anti-Mormon literature or the CES mm -hmm. letter or 
they're diving into that and they're feeling like their faith is just being completely shaken. What advice would you have for them? That's a great question. So I think one thing that I have seen very often is people who just immediately accept the counter narrative. Um, so you'll have someone who reads, for instance, the CS letter and they, oh, this has to be true. Like I've read it, all of everything that it says makes sounds good. And you just, you're just automatically accepting what it states. And I think that that is a sort of blind faith that we get accused of having all the time in the church. You just believe the brethren. You just believe whatever the church says. And you have people who just who do the exact same other thing. Mm. So I think it's really important to take some time and assess quality and the content of what's being presented to you. Like for me, it was pretty easy to go through the CS letter. Um, some, now there's some phenomenal resources that go through it. I don't know, if, uh, Jim Bennett, he, he wrote a fantastic line-by-line rebuttal. Um, mm. But at the time, even for me, it was just going through some of the quotes that he had and things like that and realizing that he's taking them out of context and he's trying to twist them. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also important to recognize that there are facts and there are interpretations of facts. Mm-hmm. And so I think the facts just are. They're not faith-promoting. They're not faith-destroying. They, they just really are what happened. And the community of people who have left the church, they present interpretation of facts. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the CS letter right puts up, isn't it weird that, isn't this strange? Do you really believe X, Y, Z? And they present things in such a way that just, it's not intellectually honest. Um, and it's being interpreted through a, a lens of cynicism and through a, a strainer of disbelief. So I think, I think, yeah, going to the source of everything and really trying to get to the facts really helps. Because in my personal opinion, I, I have found the facts themselves, I would say, are more in favor of the church's narrative than against. Um, and that's just me. I mean, I, I know there are lots of us who agree with that. But I think it's important to really try to, to break through the narratives that are being presented. Because there is a lot of faith that goes into leaving the church. There is a lot of faith that the church isn't true. There's faith that the church is lying to you. There's faith that the narratives that are being told by those who have left the church is true as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And oftentimes, people who leave the church, they leave the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and they'll join uh, ex-Mormon Redditors. Oh my gosh, you're so right. And so you have left one structure of belief and you have just gained another. It is, you're so right. And do you know what? It's funny. Actually, Lauren at the editing for the podcast and she's, she does all the shout out to Lauren. She's amazing podcast. We'd not have Lauren. Go Lauren. (laughs) Um, She actually is the one that kind of has to see all of that a lot more than I do because she handles our, our, everything with YouTube. And she sees a lot of it. And I get it occasionally on Instagram, which is kind of what I do. There was somebody that actually has a pretty large following that reshared something that I had shared. And it was like mm-hmm. their ex-Mormon, all the things. And there was a little, you know, online tussle, I guess you could say. Yeah. But something had come up where um, I like saw one of their posts and it was all about how once you leave the church, you have this like existential crisis of like, mm-hmm. where do I go when I die? And then like, I saw in the comments section, like this entire like group of people that's like, 
trying to like help each other with this like oh my gosh like serious life questions of where do we go when we die and mm-hmm. all this stuff and I thought you know I'm really grateful like yes. so grateful to be in in the church and you know if people think we're weird or whatever like yeah. I just I embrace like any weirdness because I feel so grateful to be you know, to know why we're here and what our purpose is and to live in a church that gives so much depth to life. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. it's not just about going to work and, you know, doing the dishes and raising kids. And it's like, it gives so much purpose to all, all the things. And, yeah. and I'm so grateful for that, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I love that. I think, I love what you said about depth to life um, because it really is. And I mean, Okay, we're part of a church, we're a part of a community, but we're also part of a worldwide brotherhood and sisterhood with all these people who who care about things that we care about. Now, I, I like to think that I probably have more in common with a member of the church in the Republic of the Congo than I do with like a non-member American because me and that Congolese, that they Congolese person, we have the same belief structure, we have a similar outlook on life, on the eternities, on our purpose here. Um, and this random American and I, we wouldn't have that. And yeah. so it, it does bring so much depth. And I really feel for people who feel lost like that. Like I know my wife's family right now is really struggling with that. She's got a younger sister and she's going through that same kind of existential crisis. She doesn't know where she's going to go and she dies. We have, we have a great answer. We do. I, I'm, I'm very biased, but I think our plan of salvation kicks the butt of any other theological exercise from any other church. Um, and so if you are going to leave the church, try to find something better. You probably won't, but I just, I feel for those people who just. They join the, yes, they join the church of the ex-Mormon instead yeah. of going to, it's like, find some light, like yeah. find, find some light somewhere. Don't just like go somewhere and don't be defined by something that you are you don't like yes and that that is really interesting too i i don't want to make this a, a bashing on foreign section <laughs> but i just it's weird to me that you would define yourself by something that you're not it would right. be like if you were to ask me like oh are you in a relationship right now and instead of saying oh i'm i'm married to a wonderful woman i would i would say i'm not dating right, right i'm not dating zoe yeah. But aren't you married? Yeah, but I'm not dating. I'm not dating this other girl. Right. You're, you are implying that what you have come from before is better. Mm-hmm. And that what you have now is merely a reduction of that. Right. So, I, yeah, I think being a member is fantastic. Um, I think we have such a positive outlook on everything. I think our theology is just absolutely amazing and beautiful. I mean, I, I think... More than anything, the plan of salvation is so crucial to my testimony because no matter what happens, God has prepared a perfect place for everyone. Anyone who is struggling or who has family members that have, have left the church, God is aware of them. He will yeah. take care of them. All things that you are worried about or stressing about, you don't need to because God will take care of everything. And I think the atonement of Jesus Christ is here to help you now. I think that's something that can often be overlooked. Now, is, everything will be made right in the eternities as well, but 
things can also be made right now. So if you are struggling with things, um, if, you, if you need to repent of stuff, Christ is there for you. If you are having strained relationships with people, Christ is there for you. If you feel like you don't belong in church, Christ is there for you. So no matter what you're going through, everything will be made right on the big scale in the eternities, and it, and it will be made right now if you trust Christ and you turn to him. And you just just accept him. I think that's one of the things the Baptists do really well. You evangelicals, they just accept Christ. Mm-hmm. They, they put it upon himself. And I think if we do a better job of doing that, a lot of the, the pain that can be caused through misinterpreted doctrine or in the church can just be can be swept away. I love that. I love it so much. And I agree. Do you any final thoughts or any final words of wisdom for for our listeners today? I think God is good. Um, Christ loves you. This is Christ's church. Actually, I do have I think a little bit more more specific. So going back to if there is a missionary that comes home early, I think my advice to parents and to leaders is you need to not worry about how you're feeling. You need to focus on that missionary more than anything else. Um, because ultimately, you're going to be okay. And if, if you care enough about your child to have them go out on a mission, you, you don't need to worry about your testimony. But I think how you react in that, in that brief period of time when they're coming home is really going to set the tone for the rest of their life. I remember hearing on a different podcast, um, Leading Saints, where he was talking about a stake president who had a missionary come home early, and the stake president was really mad um, and wanted to like punish this missionary for lying and going out there. And I think it's okay to be upset that you were lied to, but you really need to subordinate your feelings to that of the return missionary. I had two companions that I had trained who both went home early to repent and both came back out. And one of them, his bishop, had gone home early, never went back on his mission. The day that he came home, the night, his bishop showed up at his door, like in tears, saying, like, I love you. We're going to get you back out there. We're going to do everything that we can to make this right. Oh, that gave me the chills. Yeah. And so that that support right there was enough to get him through the next six months. And I mean, it really sucks. Yeah. And home sucks. Um, but it got him through all that, got him back out. He was an awesome missionary, um, married in the temple now. He's doing absolutely fantastic. And so I think setting the tone when when the missionary does come home really is really important. As much as it may hurt you parents, as much as it may hurt you church leaders, that missionary is hurting way more than you could possibly know. So you need to do all you can <clears throat> to help them feel Christ's love because yep. they may not be able to on their own. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. Well, Jackson, thank you so much for just sharing all of your insight with us. And thank you for reaching out and for coming on the podcast. Thanks, Ashley. This is this is super fun. Um, I'm glad I was able to be here. You're awesome. Thank you to everyone who's listening and who's everyone who's been on the podcast. I mean, this is this is a phenomenal, phenomenal community to have here. Thank you so much. Hey guys, first off, I want to give you a heartfelt thank you to all of you that support the podcast. We wouldn't be able to get this message out without all of your help, so thank you so much. 
I've had a few questions come in from people that aren't on social media, so I just wanted to let you guys know that we do have a website. It's www.comebackpodcast.org. You can find all of our episodes here. Um, There's a list of our book club selections, and you can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Thanks again. We love you guys so much.